listening to this week's sermon from King's Community Church. For more information about our church, including meeting time and location, visit kingscommunity.ch. My name is Doug Enfield, and I uh, lead a couple of different things here at uh, King's Community, the setup and teardown, where you see all of these wonderful drapes that transform this uh, school space into a church, as well as uh, leading a small group. And so I got the opportunity to come before you today, and we're going to talk about a little bit of uh, acts and continue in our series of objects in motion. Um, for me, it's, uh, it's a little bit of a difficult piece of scripture, but uh, I look forward to uh, spending this time with you and getting in. If you go ahead and put a finger in your Bible uh, at Acts 5, that's what we're going to be uh, diving into. Uh, before I get into that, I, we're going to talk a little bit about truth and what is right here this morning. And so uh, I am a former soldier, paratrooper, going back a couple of decades ago, and uh, there was a story that came to mind uh, to me this week as I was preparing for this. Uh, I was on what we called a retrans station. I was a communications radio guy, uh, and this was 25 years ago, so before satellite communication had taken over the Army, and we did everything with radio frequencies, and so a retrans station or a retransmission station was a spot that we would put up at a very high point so that uh, the tactical operations center and then the guys up at the front line, I was in an artillery unit that were at the guns and, and, and doing the fighting, could talk to each other. And in between that, at the highest point, you'd have a retrans station. And so what we would do is we would set up a lot of antennas and we would have a truck with several radios. And some of those radios were receiving from this end and then retransmitting back to this end. So it would extend our radio... Uh, radius of, of, of how we could communicate. And so being, uh, I was 19 year old, brand new soldier uh, at, at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. And we went out for a three week exercise uh, to train and, and learn how to do this. And so I got to do retrans, which was really, really awesome because it's only two of you and you go up on top of a hill and you set up a bunch of antennas and radios, and then you stare at each other for three weeks. And that's all you do for three weeks. And so we would just, it was super duper boring. It was just like the worst job. You don't learn a whole lot other than keep the radios powered, how to service a generator. That was our, that was the biggest thing that I learned during that time. And every two or three days, somebody would show up to this retrans station. Um, usually it was a mail carrier or somebody from the chow hall that was bringing us a uh, hot food because we didn't have hot food every day. And so they would show up and, and looking forward to those, those visits that we would have a few times a week was like, we got 15 minutes of human interaction that wasn't with the two of us, with, with me and my sergeant. And so it was, it was always a big deal. And I remember about two weeks into a three-week exercise, we had a vehicle rolled up and it wasn't the normal vehicle that we saw that was delivering mail and delivering hot food. And uh, we, it didn't take us very long to learn as the vehicle got closer and closer. It was our brigade commander. So the colonel was going around and doing his, his health and welfare and, and trying to encourage us and visit everybody. And, and he was bringing hot food with him. So, so that was good. But he just wanted to check on how his retrans guys were doing because insanity is a real possibility when you're up there by yourself. So he's, he's coming out to, to check on us. And... Yeah, he steps out of the car. Now, 
at the retranslations, it's myself. I was a, a PFC, a private first class, very, very low on the chain. And I had an E5 sergeant who is about this far above of a, a private. So he's about that far, just above being a private. And then out steps a brigade commander who's a colonel. And if you don't know rank, he's about this far from being a general, just below. So we've got these two glorified privates and then this guy that's it's on his way to becoming a general. And so he steps out of the vehicle and while we're riding in the vehicle, they have to wear their Kevlar helmets. And so he steps out of the vehicle and he takes his helmet off. And my sergeant, Sergeant Nelson, uh, who, who was a great guy, stops him. Sir, put your cap back on. I almost dropped dead right at that moment. Like we are, we're both getting fired. We're getting arrested. We're something, we're getting kicked out of the army. This is it. That, that, that my E5 sergeant would, would tell an 06, a colonel, what to do. Give him an order. Gave him an order. Colonel stops with, it, with his Kevlar helmet in his hand looks at him and I, I mean, it felt like it was 20 minutes and it probably was not two seconds, stares at him, just stares daggers through him, puts his hat back on and goes about his visit, asks how we're doing, how's it been going, um, you know, just, just daily operations, uh, gives us our, our food and our mail and then, and then he moves out. And the, right after he left, I mean, I, I have to know, like, I got to know, Sergeant Nelson, how, what, what possessed you? What why did you do that? You know, how, how could you tell a colonel what to do? And I will never forget his exact words to me. There's no rank on right. So when, if we, that was just an exercise that was on an army base and, you know, we were just practicing to actually go out and fight in a battle, but we practice as we fight. So we do everything when we're practicing the same way that we would want to do it in battle. And so he was in charge of that research station. He was going to run it the right way. And that colonel, in that moment, when, when Sergeant Nelson said that, that colonel was faced with a decision. Do I choose what is right? Do I choose what I know, is to, be, what I know to be the truth? Or do I go ahead and break the rules? And what will that mean down the line for everybody that works for me, for the 300, 400 people that are in my brigade? What does it mean for all of them if I'm not following the rules? And so he chose the right thing, put his cap back on, and, and went about uh, taking that instruction. And so uh, it stuck with me. That was 25 years ago. Uh, and, and I think it applies to what we're going to read today. So let's uh, start in uh, Acts chapter 5. And we're going to start with uh, 1 through 10. Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. But a man named Ananias. Okay, I don't want to get too far, so I'll stop right there. Uh, the very first word, depending on the translation of the, uh, that you're reading, and I'm reading from the, uh, the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, uh, the very first word is but. But. And in this, in this case, uh, depending on your translation, it may say now, meaning that there was something before now, but means that there was something before but. And I really wish that I had gotten to preach last Sunday when all the kids were in the service and I could have said but this many times in front of all of them. They would have loved it. Uh, but in this case, the word but, one T, is a conjunction. So it joins two things together. Or if your translation says now, that is to indicate there was something that happened before 
Now this is happening. And so before we get into uh, chapter five, verse one, if you can go back one page, we're gonna start with Acts four, verses 36 and 37, because that's the important uh, part of why that conjunction is there. We've got to join uh, verses 37 and 36 of chapter four before we can get to verse five, one. Uh, and 436, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So we've got this dude, Barnabas, who had some resources. Uh, Gabe talked about this last week. Uh, He had some resources. He had land. He had a field. He had some things of value. He went and he sold those things of value. He went and he took them. uh, He put them up for sale. He took the proceeds. Everything that he made off of that field went directly to the apostles and said, build the kingdom. Said, I, I was called to sell what I had, and I want to give what I've got to God that, that the word of Jesus may uh, grow and spread and more people may come uh, to know who he is. And so that's the context of the conjunction that starts this, that starts verse 5 1. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. However, he, get, he kept back part of the proceeds with his wife's knowledge and brought a portion of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Ananias, Peter asked, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the proceeds of the land? Wasn't it yours while you possessed it? And after it was sold, wasn't it at your disposal? Why is it that you planned this thing in your heart? You have not lied to people, but to God. When he heard these words, Ananias dropped dead. And a great fear came over all who heard. The young men got up, wrapped his body, and carried him out uh, and buried him. So we have the, the, the picture of Barnabas being so generous, selling, using his resources to help the church along. And then we have Ananias and Sapphira, who also have resources, who also have land that have things that they could sell and help move the gospel along. So we know that Barnabas was called to give to the church. And we, we read more in Acts about Barnabas and his heart, and we know that that's, that's what, that what, what Barnabas was all about. Were Ananias and Sapphira called to sell their land? I don't know. I, I have two theories about that when, when I read this scripture, is that Ananias and Sapphira were called to give the land, but if they were called to give the land, they needed to give it all. And they only gave a portion, or they held back a portion. The second theory is they weren't called to give the land. They heard about what Barnabas had, de- had done and that Barnabas had probably received, you know, praise and, and, and a good word. And Barnabas's name was, was raised up and thought of well. And they thought, hey, we'd love to be thought of in the same way that Barnabas is thought of. And so they sold some resources, held back what they could, and they, and they gave... Uh, basically presenting themselves as, hey, we gave everything that we could the same way that Barnabas could. Either way, whether they were called or whether they were not called, when they came before the apostle and they laid the money at Peter's feet, they were presenting themselves uh, untruthfully. They were saying something, either uh, they were presenting themselves to the apostles, they were presenting themselves to the people as not what actually was happening. They were misrepresenting themselves. And, and more importantly than that, they were 
lying not only to the apostles, but lying to God about, about what they had done. Um, either way, they were showing a distrust of God. They were showing that, that, that they thought they knew better. They thought they knew a, a better way to handle this situation. They knew what their resources were, and so I'm, I'm going to keep what I need to keep, and I'm going to give what I can afford to give. Taking their own plan into account and not taking into God's, uh, God's plan, but as Peter calls them out, and the, the minute that, that Ananias shows up and he lays the, the money at Peter's feet, Peter says to him there in verse 3, why has Satan filled your heart to lie? You ever been caught in a lie? You ever been called to the carpet, so they say? And if you're thinking I've never been caught in a lie, you just got caught in a lie because we've all been caught in a lie at some point in our life. And, and here Peter is, is caught in that lie and, and he's, he's called to the carpet, but what we think or what, uh, or not Peter is not called in that, Ananias is called in that, sorry about that. <laughs> uh, what Ananias thinks he's doing is withholding for himself. He thinks I'm keeping a portion back because I want to take care of my family. There's a certain amount of comfort. There's a certain amount of things that we need, material things. Uh, I'm, I'm willing to give up this much, but I, I need to keep this for us. Uh, what Peter or what Ananias is not realizing is he's not keeping for himself. He is withholding from his God. He is withholding from his God. So he's, regardless of the reason that he's doing it, the reason they sold this land, he is not just keeping for himself to keep himself comfortable and protected and safe. He's withholding from the mission of the church. And Peter calls him out on it uh, immediately. And I, I think of the first century church and I think of where they were at and where they lived and what they were doing. And uh, Gabe talked last week that when we read a piece of scripture, we need to consider who is the audience, what did it mean to them, and what does it mean to us? And I think about that first century church that I have a lot this week, and I think, I don't know that I relate to them a whole lot. Um, no running water, uh, no indoor plumbing, probably, uh, electricity, internet, television, sounds terrible. So I, I, I don't know how much I relate to the first century church. And then I see Ananias in front of Peter presenting himself very differently than how he is. And I think that means something in New Braunfels in 2019. And it means something to my life that I really want to make sure, especially to people who don't know me, that I'm presenting myself in a certain way that I'm coming across. Um, even here this morning as I got dressed and thought about yesterday what I was going to wear and stand up here in front of you guys, and I'm like, Gabe seems to always dress kind of trendy and hip, and I'm like, I can wear the hipster jeans with, you know, the, my cuffs rolled up and uh, put on the Sperry's and, you know, all that kind of stuff to make myself look kind of hip and kind of cool. You know, I, I've got Sperry's. Those are, those are nice shoes. You know, you don't know that I got an email a couple of years ago and bought them for my son for $18 on clearance. They're cheaper than Walmart shoes. And these pants are not rolled up so that I look cool and hipster. It's because they were $6 jeans at Costco. And the only size they had were four inches too long for my inseam. So they're rolled up because they have to be. <laughs> so 
that's kind of a funny way of saying, you know, it's what you present is not always truthful of what the, uh, of what the truth is. You know, we want to present ourselves in a way that, that comes across, uh, that we are more than we are, that we are uh, more than what we may even look like uh, at most times. And here we see Ananias coming before, and how is he presenting himself? And it comes down to one word, and that's worthy. Ananias is presenting himself in front of the apostles and in front of the church, and I am worthy. I saw what Barnabas did and how his name was praised, and now I'm coming forward, and I deserve the same praise. I'm worthy of the same blessings and the same things that Barnabas got. And when we think of ourselves as worthy, we're putting ourselves on that same level with God. And not only are we lying to ourselves, then we're lying to the people around us, but Peter points out that we are lying even to God. And Unfortunately, he paid the biggest price that could be paid is that he went before the Holy Spirit, he lied, and his life was taken. He died. And then and they, they, they carry him out, and then his wife, three hours later, uh, it tells us in, in the scripture, uh, starting in verse 7, About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Tell me, Peter asked, did you sell the land for this price? I don't know where they're at or what the facility was or what was going on in there. The minute that she walked in, I'm like, I hear a record scratch (laughs) and silence. And, you know, everybody in there knows that Peter has just lost his life for lying to the apostles, lying to the Holy Spirit. And so here his, his Sapphira walks in and she's going to be presented with, this, with the same opportunity. Hush falls over everything, complete silence. Did you sell the land? Tell me, Peter asked her, did you sell the land for this price? The money's probably still sitting there. Is this what you guys got for selling your land? This, this gift that, that Ananias brought in to me, is this what you brought in? Yes, she said, for that price. Then Peter said to her, why did you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Instantly, she dropped dead at his feet. When the young men came in, they found her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Then a great fear came over the whole church and all who had heard these things. So both Ananias and Sapphira, this couple in the, the very early church, just as, we were, just as the Christian church was starting out and starting to make its way and form who they were and, and discover and, and grow in their numbers, one of the couples, one of the foundational families of that early church we see what may be the very first church discipline that's happened. A lot of what uh, we've read here in Acts, we've dealt with the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and we've, we've uh, outward forces onto the church and, and, and showing signs and wonders. And here we have people within the church where sin has infected their heart and they are, the church has to deal with that. Peter has to deal with that. The apostles have to deal with that. And so what do they have to deal with? They have to deal 
with untruthfulness, lying. And the Holy Spirit strikes them down dead, which seems harsh. And I've read a lot of commentaries and listened to other pastors' sermons. Why did they have to die? Why did death strike them? We all lie. We covered that earlier. We all lie, whether it's to the Holy Spirit or our spouse or our boss or our kids or somebody, we all get caught in lies. Why did their lies cost their life? And at that time in the early church, when I think of truth and lying, unfortunately, there is no greater truth than death. It is the greatest truth of our lives. And anyone who has dealt with death close to you, in your family or a close group of friends, when you are faced with that tragedy, when you are faced with, the, with a death, you are forced to deal in a very real way. It can't have pretense. Who was this person? What was their life about? How did they live? What about their eternity? Did their heart belong to Christ? Where are they now? There are truths about death that cannot be avoided. And so here in, in, in lying to the Holy Spirit in this early church, we are faced with a death that cannot be denied because death is the ultimate truth. And as morbid and, and, and terrible it is that, that they had to die, some 2,000 or nearly 2,000 years later, I get to be up here and, and, and talking to you about it and telling you about it. And um, I can tell just from bringing this up, it brings us down. We start to grieve the fact that we commit these sins. I, I just pointed out how I live in false pretense how I don't present myself truthfully, how I get caught in lies. Is death going to be my consequence just like it was their consequence? And so as we're, as we're thinking about that and we're faced with the truth of Ananias and Sapphira's death, we think of ourselves almost in a funeral setting here, that we are grieving their death, that they had to die, that, that the, the Holy Spirit struck them down and as we were thinking about that, we're in this funeral setting. My hope today is that the funeral that you attend today would be theirs and not our own. That we wouldn't be dead in our own lives, that we would embrace the truth that death brings, knowing that we're going to die, knowing that someday our, our, our lives will end, that people around us' uh, lives will end, and we have an opportunity while we are still breathing while we go from this place, while we are here this morning, while we are at work and school tomorrow, we have the opportunity to live out the truth of, uh, of God's grace and God's forgiveness. And we do so in the same way that the, the early church did there as we look at uh, the end of verse 11, or, or verse 11. Then a great fear came over the whole church and all who had heard these things. Uh, yeah. It's going to cause a huge fear. People came up and they were false in front of the apostles and they dropped dead. But when we think about fear, and it's appropriate that we're talking about fear now that it's October, our favorite month of fear, uh, with Halloween and 
haunted houses and, and death and scary things and movies and all that kind of stuff that we would talk about fear right now. When I look at fear, I think of two different kinds of fear. And there, there is a fear that is, you're scared. There's a fear uh, that is irrational, that tends to want to shield myself, that wants to kind of be selfish and hidden. And it usually lives in the dark and I don't know what's around that next corner. And I don't, I don't know how, how to overcome myself. And I, I become fearful. And that's the bad kind of fear. That's the fear that we don't want to embrace. That's the fear that we like to play with when we go to a scary movie or a haunted house. We'd like to kind of live on the edge of that fear. And then there is the good fear. And that is the fear that brings safety and humility and reverence. Uh, that fear lives in the light of day with our eyes wide open. The bad kind of fear lives in the dark. And the good kind of fear opens our eyes to what's going on around us. And so the, the best metaphor that I can think of is that uh, the bad kind of fear will keep you from doing the things that you need to do that are good for you to do, whether it's helping our neighbors or uh, talking to someone else about Jesus. And you're like, oh, I just, I, I have too much fear to do that. And so the bad f- kind of fear lives in the dark and keeps us from doing that. The good kind of fear keeps us from doing things that we probably shouldn't be doing, not driving the wrong way down the freeway. That would be a bad, that would be, you have a healthy fear if you honor those wrong way signs on the access roads, right? So we don't want to drive the wrong way down the freeway and dodge cars. That's a healthy fear that keeps us from doing that. That's with our eyes uh, wide open. And so when it says there in, in verse 11, a great fear came over the whole church and all who had heard these things, that's the fear they had. They had a fear that was rooted in safety and a humility. I realized that I'm not God and the power that God has over my life that good fear. Verse 12. Many signs and wonders were being done among the people through the hands of the apostles. They were all together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, but the people spoke well of them. Believers were added to the Lord in increasing numbers, multitudes of both men and women. As a result, they would carry the sick out into the street and lay them on cots and mats so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. In addition, a multitude came together from the towns surrounding Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Fear gripped the people. So even to the point where people were afraid to come before the apostles. And the hope is, from what we read here, is that people were afraid to come forward in their sin. People were afraid to come forward in their untruthfulness. But those who had unclean spirits and those who needed healings came in droves. The multitudes came. Many were added to the numbers of Jesus because of that fear. Because I don't want to be caught in the same situation that Ananias and Sapphira were in. I'm going to go out because I fear that. I'm going to go out and seek Jesus. I'm going to go seek this healing. I'm going to go seek this cleansing. I just want to even get in the shadow of somebody who follows Jesus because of my fear. And the second thing that brought them there was that truth, actual truth, honest truth is attractive and undeniable. 
If you've ever been, been met with a situation that is full of false pretenses and what's going on here and what is happening and somebody steps up and tells the truth, you're drawn to it. It's unfortunately part of the reason that we love reality television. It's because that we think that it's unscripted. We're getting an actual reaction. We're getting real life uh, consequences and reactions from those kind of things. And so television is full of re- reality, te- uh, reality programming. And it, or when we look on uh, our social media, our social media is usually filled with people that we know in real life, it, with our friends and people in this church, people in our community and our schools and our work. We see their lives played out on social media and there's an authenticity to it because I see that guy at work on Monday morning. So it's kind of fun to see what, he go, what goes on in the rest of his life. I'm a huge sports fan. Love watching football and baseball and golf and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and on my Instagram, I love following football players and golfers and that kind of thing and seeing what goes on in their lives, like seeing them play with their kids and what they do when they're not on the football field or not out on a golf course. And there's an authenticity to that. Oh, they're real people. There's an attractiveness to that truth. Just, I'm just drawn to it because it, it, it feels more real than just seeing uh, a facade. Uh, truth is attractive and people are drawn to it. And uh, from the time that, that Jesus was on the earth and he was preaching to the multitudes and at that time, the, the, the basis of religious teaching in that period and at that time was the Pharisees and the Sadducees who were all about rules And they were all about following everything to the letter of the law. And Jesus stood up and what did he say? He said love and he said grace. And he said acceptance and forgiveness. Not rules, but mercy. And it was attractive and the crowds gathered. And even after here here in Acts, we're we're, we're months after Jesus has left the earth and it's still attractive. And here it is 2000 years and we're still reading the same story. And that truth of Jesus' forgiveness, that truth of, of Jesus' undeniable love for us, still attractive even to this day. And I go back to my very first story with, with Sergeant Nelson 25 years ago, that happened 25 years ago. And I don't know if it says more about me or the event itself, but I'm still talking about it 25 years ago. Cause it infected me. It, 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 it's, it's, it's a core value that I have now to seek out what is right and to do what is right. Right has no rank regardless of where we're at or what situation we find ourselves in, we can seek the truth. We can seek what is right. We can seek that undeniable attractiveness that Jesus brings to us that, that, that is rooted in the gospel and in his love. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to come here this morning. Uh, to gather in your name. And we pray uh, that the Holy Spirit would fill this place, that it would uh, affect our lives and infect our lives. Lord, that we would seek you out in everything that we do. Lord, that we would uh, seek out to have our false uh, 
pretenses, our, our whatever we're trying to present stripped away so that uh, we are not presenting ourselves. We know that we are not worthy and we know that you are worthy. Uh, we just want to reflect your grace and your glory in our lives. Lord, that not that people would know us or think highly of us, but they would know you and think of you as the most high. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to read your word, uh, to come here and worship you. You love us so well in so many different ways. Help us to live that truth. Amen.